This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, hey, what up, champs? And welcome to another episode of Keeping Carlson Short Shifts, your tweakly podcast fix between episodes of the main huge podcast on Sunday evenings of Keeping Carlson, hosted by Brian and Elon. I am your short shifts host, Ben Burnett, and joining me, as always, my co-host and yours, Louis Ezekiel. Louis, how are you doing? I'm doing about as well as a Tony D'Angelo and David Pasternak owner can possibly be doing on a night like tonight. Uh, What a super night of fantasy hockey so far. Good Lord, how are you even here? If I were you, I feel like I'd be running around my neighborhood, like, waving my pants in the air. Well, I had a little while before we recorded uh, to, to get that out of my system, and now I'm here to talk about other players on rare occasions, but mostly just about those two. Well, I mean, and in particular... Uh, obviously, David Pasternak is the guy who is who we thought he was. Another hat trick tonight, uh, still leading the league in goal scoring. But Tony D'Angelo, a hat trick and two assists tonight. Twenty three cupful points last time I looked. Uh, twenty three. He finished with twenty three point five. He's on both of our cupful teams, of course. We were uh, cyber high fiving earlier tonight. Um, must own, obviously, in Kakupful, but I'm feeling like he has to be looked at as a pretty interesting keeper, even in keeper pools, assuming he manages to hold on to this deployment. Earlier in the year, it looked like a bit of a timeshare in New York, but he's been the runaway number one power play defenseman for, I mean, what, a month and a half at this point? Yeah, so he really seems to have ended any hopes for Jacob Truba to be that top power play guy. Of course, Truba uh, has been excellent in terms of providing some points here and there, and especially the peripheral, so he's still been a solid own. Uh, it just hasn't turned out the way a lot of people sort of expected when he picked up that contract in the off season. It's been great to have, obviously, uh, some some high-level production. You mentioned uh, him being valuable in Kakupful. Imagine a league that gives credit for power play points. I have him in a league that does so, and he was uh, close to the 30-point range after all of his various, uh, all of his production this evening. Yeah, no, he's been a, a wonderful steal off the waiver wire. Bit of a snub, honestly, looking back at the Shifty Awards where we were giving out awards for uh, for midseason pickups. So, yeah, no, he, he definitely has earned his way onto my roster. I can't imagine the situation in which I would be streaming him out. Um, I believe that he is around 60% owned uh, across Yahoo, and I know a lot of those Yahoo leagues are dormant, but I imagine that's going to have to climb after a night like tonight. Is it crazy to drop someone like Klingberg to pick up Tony D'Angelo? No, I would definitely drop John Klingberg at this point. I mean, 
Honestly, if you haven't reevaluated your expectations for Klingberg by now, you're snoozing quite a bit. Uh, just in Dallas, there's so much competition for that top power play spot. And, you know, he struggled so much through the first half. So John Klingberg, definitely a huge downgrade from preseason. And Tony D'Angelo, a massive riser. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. All right, let's move into the headline portion here. We have to get through a lot today. Of course, we are brought to you by Keeping Carlson. You can join us. Hang out with us every single day in the Keeping Carlson patron group. Just head to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Sign up to become a patron. It's about five bucks a month. You get to hang out with us in a Facebook group. Talk fantasy hockey all day, every day with Brian, Elon, Lewis, myself, Marcus from the Keeping Carlson Stat Attack podcast, Dave from the Stream Scheme, and a whole lot of other friends of ours. It's a ton of fun. And this Saturday, we are going to be hosting another issue of our Saturday streaming. We live stream and answer sit start ad drop questions from all the patrons. It's a bunch of fun. Always my favorite part of the week. So come on, hang out with us in the Keeping Carlson Facebook group. But yes, as I promised, the headline section, we're going to start in San Jose where Logan Couture has now suffered a fractured bone in his lower leg. Uh, reports say he's going to miss about a month and a half. Couture was on pace for 66 points this year. Not a huge season, but not bad on a disappointing San Jose team. Who do we think stands to benefit as a result of the Couture injury, Lewis? So it's a tough one because he's such a mainstay in a lot of places that, you know, we'll have a couple people who are going to see improved deployment, but I don't know how much they're really going to be able to benefit when you're missing out on what Couture kind of brings to the table. We unfortunately don't have a very clear idea of what the power play is going to look like in Couture's absence. Uh, We did in the previous game after his injury see... It looked like the second unit got the majority of the time on the ice for them. Uh, So until we know more about how those power play units shake out, uh, we won't know for sure. Hopefully, uh, Tebow Meyer can get up there and enjoy some power play one time. Um, But other than that, we're not 100% sure about what it will look like. So keep your eyes peeled. Uh, Watch out for what may be coming next for that Sharks power play. Uh, But again, I think it might be a downgrade for everybody who's out there except for the person who gets bumped up to power play one in that spot. So I think the interesting thing here is that uh, after the game, people were talking a lot about how Barkley Goodrow was in an interesting spot between Kane and Meyer. And the thought was that, at least in the Keeping Carlson patron group, that he may get a shot on that top power play unit. He was used on that power play in the last game, but like you said, it does appear that that was the second unit. Barkley Goodrow, though, losing that top six deployment that he had pre-couture injury, and instead they pop in Marlowe and LeBanc into that spot. Um, I think, yeah, I think the guy who stands to benefit quite a bit here, honestly, in my opinion, is Tomas Hurdle, who is the unquestioned number one player, going to have to drive the bus as far as offense goes in the Bay Area. So I'm a little bit interested in Tomas Hurdle. Um, otherwise, yeah, I am looking forward to seeing who makes it onto the top unit tonight. If it's Timo Meyer, then then it's Timo Meyer season. Yeah, I think so, definitely. Uh, Especially if you are in a league that is going to give you some credit for those power play points. That could be very exciting for the Meyer owners. Uh, That was one of the players I flipped uh, James Neal for early on in the year. uh, And I'm hoping that it can pay off a little bit more on the power play here. Yeah, we'll see. 
Uh, over in New York, we have a new goaltender. Uh, of course, the New York Rangers never have enough goaltenders. That's what people are always saying about that team. That's always been the problem <laughs> since I've been a fan. Uh, no, in addition to Henrik Lundqvist, though, and the suddenly uh, impressive Alexander Georgiev, Igor Shostyorkin has finally arrived in New York. He has been someone that I, as a Rangers fan, have been waiting for for, I think, five years now that I've been watching clips on Twitter and just getting hype along with all of the overseas Rangers prospects analysts. Uh, the hype for this kid has been unbelievable as he's led the KHL in a couple of goaltending categories while not quite getting the time on ice that you would hope from a uh, number one goalie over in Russia. He's just always had a wonderful uh, companion in the crease. So it's good to see him over here in America and in his first two starts, two wins with uh, three goals against in each start. Um, I mean, he's on a Rangers team that you're not going to see him lead the league in goals against average. It's just not going to happen from a team that's this porous and terrible defensively. But I'm really excited to see Shostyorkin uh, make his way and make his debut in the red, white, and blue. And you know what? I'm interested in deeper leagues. I, I can see a situa- I can see some leagues where I wouldn't mind having him on my roster. He's one of those guys like John Gibson who has uh, the advantage if you're in a league that counts saves either as a category or counts them for points where he's just going to be facing quite a lot of them with great frequency anytime that he is starting in goal. So that's always pretty interesting. It adds some extra layers of value, even if um, the rate stats don't end up exactly how you would like them to be. I think we got to give him a lot of credit. He did give up his first goal uh, on a Nathan McKinnon breakaway after a really hideous... Um, turnover uh, in the neutral zone, just out of the Rangers zone. So credit to Shostyorkin for, you know, staring down the barrel of the McCannon as it came down at him and ended up putting it away, but, uh, you know, still was able to win the game. Sure. And unfortunately, that just might be what he has to get used to while he's playing behind uh, this Rangers team. As far as what I expect from Shostyorkin rest of season, like it, there's definitely two scenarios that I can see unfolding here. Like I could see the team letting him choose his fate and play into the role and, and therefore kind of forcing their hand. I do think that Georgiev or Lundqvist are the goaltenders that would be moved out way before Shostyorkin. Um, Lundqvist controls his destiny with a firm no movement clause as he deserves to have. Um, I can't necessarily see him wanting to go anywhere unless he suddenly decides that he doesn't want to retire as a Ranger and instead would rather chase that cup. You know, no, no judgments here. Lundqvist, do what you want. I'm more than happy to have you retire as a Ranger. You deserve it. Um, Georgiev seems like the obvious trade. And honestly, I wouldn't mind selling high on him as a guy who has come into the league very much like under the radar prospect was not highly rated. So if we see Georgiev get traded, then I think that Shostyorkin likely gets, you know, 50-55% of the starts moving forward. But I do think there's also a world where they choose to send him back down because he's waiver eligible and he can play, you know, 80% of the games for the Wolfpack. They're going to want him there for the playoffs this year, I would imagine, because that's going to be great experience. So I'm not losing my mind over Shostyorkin, but I could see him going on a run here. And why not have a guy who could be like a Jordan Binnington type where they give him a, a run of starts and he could play his way into a lot more. 
Yeah. Uh, we'll keep going here. We have a couple of, you know, we, we talk about a young player who's breaking into the league. How about a couple of older players who are breaking into the league? Justin Williams is back. He played a pivotal role in Carolina last year, helped them make the playoffs, turned a bunch of jerks into a, I don't know, a, a respectable group of dicks, I guess. <laughs> um, he took the load management route this year, started the season as a free agent, and only just signed back with the Canes this week. Uh, last year, he was a 53-point player with, you know, basically 240 shots and decent power play point numbers. Do we think he can be a decent fantasy option this year? So, one thing that I've always liked about Williams is that if you are streaming someone in, you can almost always count on him to be flinging pucks at the net and get you some credit uh, for that. I don't necessarily love the the outlook for him. I think it'll be interesting to see how he does once he's in the lineup. This strikes me as kind of the, you know, get the old hand in there to act as a mentor. You've got a rising star like Svechnikov. Um, you know, I it, it, it will be interesting to see how he gets deployed, but I could certainly see him kind of being the Joe Thornton, you know, third line, center, uh, bottom six kind of guy who um, is more uh, providing help in the locker room than he is providing help out on the ice on a shift to shift basis. So I don't know if I'm ready to be especially excited about Justin Williams, uh, maybe a little more interested in the next guy that we're going to talk about. With Williams, for me, I think if you're in a deeper league and you have an obvious like stream spot or a couple of stream spots, then yeah, I, I don't mind jumping early on Williams and planting the flag. Uh, we had a patron in the Keeping Carlson group mention that they picked him up two weeks ago and having him sign the, for 700k is basically like printing free money and that definitely makes sense in a cap league. Um, but yeah, I think for me, I would rather wait and see, see him get some good deployment before using one of my precious ads on him. So yeah, I would, I'd be a little res- reticent. Um, and yeah, the second guy we're going to talk about, Dustin Bufflin, a bit more shocking of an absence than Williams, but of course, uh, missed training camp with an injury, a bit of odd, he's at odds with his NHL club, the Jets. And then Darren Dreger tweets today, he may be ready to start skating. Um, of course, he is still suspended by the team, so we're not sure when he would necessarily get back into the lineup. Lewis, is it time to get Dustin Bufflin into our lineups ahead of the fantasy playoffs? So I do think that there is room for Dustin Bufflin on some lineups. I think that the teams that are kind of cruising right now and are you know, winning their weekly matchups significantly or pulling ahead quite well in categories or whatever the case may be. I think those are the types of teams that should be looking to take a risk on picking up Bufflin and seeing how he does. I do think that if you are in the thick of things right now with your team, um, I don't, I think it might be too big a risk to take him on simply because um, they talked about, you know, Basically, his ankle is ready to begin skating or resume skating. But we're talking about a big guy. We're talking about having missed quite a lot of conditioning. I, I think that this may be a case, another sort of wait-and-see case for all but the folks who can basically pop him into their uh, IRs for the time being, if, if they can do that, or just burn a roster space, uh, waiting and hoping that he's going to 
come back, you know, by the end of the fantasy season, you know, in the springtime as the kind of stat filling, you know, potentially power play one defenseman guy uh, who really can can turn around some uh, matches for you. It definitely does feel like a stretch to think that he could be like walk back into Winnipeg and be the old Dustin Bufflin, like, win a matchup in a bangers league by himself for you guy. Especially when you can see that Neil Pionk has been so effective in that power play one role. Um, Paul Maurice doesn't strike me as the type of guy to be like, yeah, it's fine to walk out on your teammates and then come back halfway through the year and you get the best possible deployment in the world. But I think with uh, with Bufflin, the upside is just so, so, so high that what are you going to do? Leave him on the waiver wire? Hell no. Yeah, so I I feel like maybe in uh, my buddy league where I'm doing quite well for myself and I'm not feeling super threatened about uh, not getting into the playoffs and getting my bye week, that's a league where I might pull him in uh, and, you know, while I can still pop him on the IR potentially. Um, so that, that strikes me as the kind of situation uh, where I might be willing to go for it and see if he can't come back and do some real damage in the spring. But, you know, if you're close, if you're, if you're in a week-to-week, you know, and you're within 10, 15 points of your opponents, I think that's a little too close, a little too dangerous uh, to go and grab someone who, you know, is, is really kind of a lottery ticket at this point. We don't know how he's going to come back, what he's going to be like. Or when. So, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. And how fast he'll be able to get kind of back on the horse. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm okay with taking, in your case, yes, I'm in a keeper league as well where it's a categories league. I've got a pretty good lead. I, I think I'm like far, far and away the in the second place. So I feel like I could maybe hold on to Bufflin for a week or two, but I'm not holding on to him in any league where I'm, I need to win a matchup every single week. Yeah, it's funny, too, because in that league, I actually um, pulled him off the waiver wire early on in the season uh, when he was sitting there and hoping that he would come back. So I kind of am in a a fool me once, uh, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me kind of situation with him, too. Lewis, we're going to head into the final segment of our show tonight. This is the Patron 5, and the Patron 5 is a weekly segment we do every Thursday where we put the power into the patrons of keeping Carlson's hands, let them vote on five players. They want to hear us deep dive. Uh, as mentioned before, you can become a patron at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. So here are five players that we've been asked to go deep on. And actually, we've, we had a little bit of cheating in the voting this week. We have a few more than just five players. Uh, we had a couple goaltenders come up and a couple goaltending situations in particular. Lewis, we're going to start with some skaters, get into the goaltenders at the end. Why don't you lead us off here? All right. So uh, one of the players receiving votes was... Edmonton's Kyler Yamamoto, uh, who's been kind of an interesting option uh, for the last, you know, basically since the the new year began. Uh, Yamamoto had a tough road into the NHL. He made the Oilers out of camp both of his first two seasons before being dropped to the WHL each time for lack of production. Uh, So maybe this year not making the team out of the gate was a blessing in disguise. He was called up on December 29th. Uh, and has played alongside Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Leon Dreisaitl, which is about as good of deployment as you can get in Edmonton, obviously, uh, outside of one particular option. Um, and he's played pretty nicely. Uh, he produced three points in the last five games, uh, with Thursday night's game going final now, a 3-2 victory for the Oilers over the lately quite impotent uh, Canadians. 
Um, and they've won all, or I'm sorry, they've won four of those games and have one overtime loss. So they've gained points in each of the games since he's come up, uh, which is, you know, a bit of a feather in his cap, although obviously this is, you know, there's 46 minutes a game where he is not playing, uh, that, you know, they're getting a lot of contributions as well. So despite his size, he's only 5'8", 150. Uh, Yamamoto's contributing even when he doesn't hit the score sheet. He's averaged around two shots and three hits a game, uh, despite averaging under 15 minutes a night. Um, so I'm into Yamamoto short-term as a streamer uh, with the potential to stick in my roster for a little bit. I don't think he'll keep up that 50, 55-point pace that he's got going right now, but there is a lot to like with him lining up alongside Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Leon Dreisaitl. But the, one of the problems is I don't really see a path to valuable power play time. You know, that power play one of Neil, Dreisaitl, RNH, and McDavid, and Clefbaum seems pretty well set, borrowing, barring injury. Uh, but if a forward does go down, the options to fill in seem to be Nurse, Chieson, or Yamamoto. Uh, and I feel like any of those three kind of has an equal chance. And, and maybe why not try uh, try the young guy in that spot and see what he's able to do. But again, that is relying first on someone to get knocked out of the lineup there. Yeah, so you're saying you think long-term he's not a 50-55 point guy this year, but you don't mind streaming him in? Yeah, I don't mind streaming him in as long as he's got that even strength deployment. I don't think he maybe is going to be able to keep up, you know, as good of a pace. You know, obviously just this one game on Thursday night has dropped him down from what was a 60-point pace with his 3-4. and four. So, you know, I, I, I guess, I guess my, my thinking here is when he's on that line at even strength, he's got a lot of opportunity. Um, but I don't know how long he's going to be able to stay in that spot. You know, this is a guy who's been dropped down a number of times. So he clearly, they see him as someone they can move up and down the lineup or up and down into potentially the, the lower leagues if needed. Yeah, tough to argue with any of that. I, I definitely agree that he's not, you know, a 50-point 50, a 50 player this season. But while he's getting amazing deployment, it's, uh, it's okay to take him out there. Next up on the Patron 5, folks wanted to hear about Philip Forsberg in Nashville. We, of course, talked a little bit about Nashville in last Tuesday's show when John Hines took over and what that could look like. When I, what I said on Tuesday is that I, I do think that the ceiling for Forsberg is, is raised a little bit with a new head coach, and I'll kind of get into that here. So Forsberg started the year on a crazy tear with eight points in five games before being hurt. He missed most of October after that injury. Since then, he's looked pretty mediocre, though, with a only a 53-point full-season pace. And while last year his 64-point pace was excused because he was on an absurdly snake-bitten Nashville power play, he's almost surpassed last year's power play point totals in only half of the games this year. So the assumption would be, therefore, that he must be struggling at even strength, but... Honestly, nothing really seems too out of place. His on-ice shooting percentage, his IPP, and his individual shooting percentages, all those indicators that we typically look at to distinguish why a player may be struggling, they're all looking very normal. So no numbers really stand out there as reasons to expect regression. Uh, the Predators themselves have been great at 5-on-5. Five five. They're second in the league in goals 4 per 60, and they're outperforming that expected goals total, which where they rank 11th. So we may see some overall regression from the Preds at 
even strength. But Forsberg, yeah, he seems pretty much like he's doing what he should be doing. Uh, what we are seeing with Forsberg is despite being the Preds' premier player and premier forward, I should say, he just doesn't play first-line minutes. Like, think back to what people would say about Patrick Laine the last few years when they would... You know, the thought was when they give him first line minutes, he's really going to take off. Well, I mean, this year, line is up to 19 and a half minutes per game and he's pacing for 76 points. Forsberg is still under 18 minutes a game. He's clearly the best forward in Nashville. I, I really like to see that trend up towards 20. I think he could be playing at least like another minute and a half per game without, you know, without worrying about anything going wrong in Nashville. So, on Tuesday, I talked about how the coaching change could help Forsberg take off. I still feel that way. Uh, John Hines in New Jersey played Taylor Hall well over 19 minutes per game most or uh, pretty much every year that he was in New Jersey. I'm hoping that Forsberg can get that deployment and trend closer to the 75 to 80 point pace. I do think he's capable of in a good year. If he sticks with this 16 and a half, 17, 17 and a half minute stretch, I think he'll stay in this 65 to 70 point range that we're that we're kind of seeing him uh, fall into. Yeah, I don't think he's ever going to be playing like 2018, 19 Alex Barkov type of minutes. Um, but yeah, definitely getting him into a Hall-esque 19 or so a night, I think would do wonders for him considering his points per 60 numbers and just boosting those those minutes a little bit would obviously be a big benefit to him. I think it could be a big benefit for Nashville overall, who I think sometimes their balance has almost harmed them a little bit by keeping pretty good, but not as great as their top line players on the ice, maybe for a little longer than they really need to be. Absolutely. Why don't you get into our next member of the Patron 5? Absolutely. So up next, we had some questions about Flyers goalie Carter Hart. Uh, He's in kind of an interesting scenario um, because we have uh, a case where the Flyers are almost dead even in terms of their even strength, actual and expected goals, both for and against, as well as their high danger chances for and against. So they're basically coming out even on a lot of these uh, offensive and defensive metrics. That is pretty interesting. They do find themselves 27th in the league in even strength save percentage at just 9.07, but that hasn't been so much Hart's fault. He's really been more of... Uh, part of the solution that as compared to the problem uh, those team numbers have been dragged down somewhat by Brian Elliott who sports just a 901 at even strength and Hart is up at 911 right around league average this season he's also 16th of the 48 goalies with 700 plus minutes in terms of that even strength save percentage which is quite good really because if you look at his even strength expected save percentage he is last among those 48 goalies at just 908 expected save percentage. So he's acquitting himself pretty well considering uh, how the numbers think an average goalie might be able to defend the shot load that he's been up against. He's really been quality at even strength on low danger and medium danger chances this year, but the real problem has been with the high danger chances. He's only sporting a 780 on those high danger chances. Heart owners should hope that Philadelphia can continue or improve their current degree of high danger shot suppression so that Hart won't have to face so many of the kind of shots he's been unable to defend. Uh, This really bears itself out looking at his penalty kill numbers. Hart is just 26th of the 30 goalies who have played 100 shorthanded minutes at .842 save percentage on the penalty kill. 
Basically, the portrait that emerges is a goalie who makes the easy stuff look easy and struggles more than average with the most difficult shots that he faces. Uh, unfortunately, four of the teams in his division, Carolina, the New York Islanders, Washington, and Pittsburgh, are in the top 12 for high danger chances created. So it doesn't seem likely uh, that he's going to see a significant downturn in those dangerous chances. He's been really up and down since Christmas. Uh, Hart has posted three excellent starts at 929 or above, including one above 970, and three really bad starts at 850 or below, including allowing three goals on 12 shots in just 16 minutes against Arizona on January 4th. The Flyers were finally able to keep an opponent under five goals for the first time in five outings when they held the Caps to two goals on Wednesday, uh, which also allowed Hart to get his first win in the last five starts. Overall, he seems to be about an average goalie on an about average team so far this season. Uh, He does face some limited threat from Elliott, uh, who has been a little worse than average, but has been the better option in bursts this year. Uh, We're going to talk about some goalies a little bit later on, so I'd like to circle back about how we would compare Hart uh, to a couple of the goalie pairs that we're going to be examining uh, next on the Patron 5. I'll get us started with that, talking about Calgary, a city very close to my heart and my head and the rest of my body, because I live (laughs) just south of it. Um, David Riddich was amazing to start the season. Uh, Big save Dave, as he's known around these parts. I think we are starting to see that, you know, it's a bit of a confirmation after last year where he was a bit uh, up and down. He's got a bit of a Jake Allen vibe to him, a goalie who can be great over long stretches and then totally blow up your stats two or three or four weeks at a time. Uh, he does have a 9-11 on the season, and he's 18. he has 18 wins, which is still tied for fifth in the league with Marc-Andre Fleury. These are not terrible numbers in a season-long sense though he has had three horrible starts in a row. Uh, In relief, we've seen Cam Talbot, who's been pretty steady, especially over his last stretch of games. So ahead of Thursday's game, he had five quality starts of his last six. He's now at 9.17 on the year before tonight's game. And after a pretty weak start to his career in Calgary, he'll have his second start in a row tonight. And I think at this point, we kind of have to look at him as a guy who is going to eat into the starts until further notice. In terms of goals saved above average, Riddich is at minus three on the year, while Talbot has performed much better, stopping three pucks more than the average goalie would have, given his workload. So by advanced metrics, Talbot has performed better, albeit he has only played in backup minutes so far. Uh, My sense in Calgary is that if it isn't Riddich, we aren't going to see a true workhorse, which kind of lowers the ceiling on both of these guys in a long-term sense. I do think that they're going to give the reins to Talbot for now. I am nervous as a Big Save Dave owner. Where I can, I'll handcuff Talbot because I want to make sure that I'm getting those starts on what should be still a playoff-level team. The Flames are an okay squad. If not, you know, the division-conquering behemoths they looked like last year. So in points leagues, I'm not saying, you know, Talbot has a chance to be what Riddich was at the height of his powers, but Talbot should be useful uh, with a short leash, of course. So I am holding on to Riddick in a deep league. I may stream him out in shallower leagues, depending on who's on the wire. But if you need a clear starter and there's no one else out there, then I'm holding on to David Riddich where I can. Yeah, I think that's a pretty wise idea, um, you know, Outside of that one just kind of insane year that 
Talbot had where he made 70 starts and was just winning leagues for people. Uh, We haven't seen him really deliver on uh, much of a degree of consistency beyond his time as a backup in New York, and then obviously that season with the Oilers. I I don't have a ton of confidence that we're not going to see Talbot eventually kind of blow it the way that we've seen Riddick do it. Uh, so I think handcuffing them is a pretty smart idea. Like you say, this is a, this is a quality team. Uh, and you write that it is uncomfortable to see some uncertainty about who the start is going to be on a given night and to be losing starts uh, to one another. So I think there is a level of concern that we have just with the way that it's gotten us out of kind of a clear starter versus backup situation, which is never especially fun for a fantasy GM. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Talbot, definitely useful now, but it's not like I'm confident in him being that guy he was the one year in Edmonton. I mean, he was excellent in New York as a backup and getting some run as a starter when Hank would go down with injuries, but overall I'm definitely, I I think the Flames are hoping that Riddich figures this out just because they have him on a longer-term deal, Um, Talbot more of a one-year stopgap, hopefully that he could take a little bit, like this is kind of what they signed him for, right? If if Riddich struggles, then Talbot can kind of come in, steady the ship for a little while, and I think the hope is still that Talbot gets, or that Riddich jumps back up to his early season numbers and he can put up, you know, a 918 or or right around there uh, for the rest of the year and kind of give them a steadying presence into the playoffs. So, yeah, I just I just don't think that there's a lot of fantasy relevance to be gained by either of these guys in a workhorse role, but maybe they can be complementary here. Yeah, definitely. So something to keep an eye on for sure. Sort of a similar situation with our other goalies. You're going to end up with a full patron five of goalies, basically, with uh, a couple skaters thrown in for good measure. We're going to travel over to Edmonton and talk about their duo over there. So after seeming to have firmly taken the 1A position by mid-December, where Koskinen recorded a stretch where he had four of five games over 900, with three of them over 950, it really looks like Koskinen has seeded the starting job over to Mike Smith. Last four starts for Koskinen are all below 890, including two really bad starts. Uh, One actually a win against the Rangers in which Koskinen got a six-goal lead and almost gave it all back. So there were some score effects issues at work there, and his team isn't blameless in him giving up those five quick goals. Uh, But that game on New Year's Eve was the last time Koskinen manned the crease for the Oilers, so clearly it had an impact on the coaches. Uh, It's not as if Smith has been lighting the world on fire. I will say, you know, I prepped this before tonight's game. He did have quite a nice outing tonight, holding off the Montreal Canadiens for a 3-2 victory. But before then, uh, he only had two, so he's up to three quality starts in his last 10 games. Uh, And there's also an 8.46 effort in there against Ottawa in 28 minutes. He had a really great outing against Boston in which he stopped 35 of 36 stops, and that seemed to really be sort of the thing that got the coaches into this new sort of mindset with regard to Smith's starts. And the Oil have now won three straight games with him despite a non-quality start against Toronto in a victory. I took a look at charting hockey's defense chart which plots expected goals against versus actual save percentage. And it shows that Edmonton is below average in both those categories. They're around two and a half goals against per game and below a 910 save percentage expected. Or I'm sorry, below an actual 910 save percentage. So both of these goalies kind of 
put on quite the show early in the season. Um, but since the goalie tandem has come back down to earth and then kept on digging beyond that, it really has seemed like the Oilers have been exposed on the back end. Uh, the lesson here, I think, is that these are a couple goalies who I'm pretty hesitant to own. Uh, if you're going to pick one up, obviously, Smith is the guy right now. Koskinen is clearly uh, on the outside looking in. And now we've got another win tonight to put a notch on Smith's belt. I dropped Koskinen after holding him for about six weeks or so in the Cupful last week. And Smith is on the waiver wire right now. Uh, I thought about potentially streaming him in today, but he just kind of, his his sort of overall ability kind of scared me off. I think that I still would rather have a guy like Talbot in this situation as opposed to Mike Smith. What do you think about that? Yeah, I wouldn't, I don't want either of these guys. I just don't trust the Oilers. And obviously the skill of McDavid and Dreisaitl is such that they're going to give you some great games that are going to make them useful, but you know, you're going to get some wins with these guys in the crease, but I just don't trust either of them in a long-term sense. So besides a single game stream, I'm good holding on to the Calgary guys and leaving the Oilers goalies on the waiver wire. Yeah, same for me. So we wanted to talk about Hart with uh, respect to these other goalies as well. Um, As I look at them, I sort of, I think I would take Hart over either Edmonton goalie for his starts. I'm a little more wary about him when it comes to Talbot. I think he's going to get more starts than Talbot, at least in the long term. Um, but how do you see him comparing to uh, Talbot at this point, or or the Calgary goalies in general? Well, so I would I'd still rather have Riddich than Talbot. I, I want Talbot if I have Riddich because I think that it's it's prudent to handcuff in this situation where Talbot looks like he could start to see uh, go on a bit of a run here as the starter. It's only in the second period in tonight's Thursday night's game, but Talbot again having a good start to the game against Minnesota. But I would prefer Carter Hart, a player who I'm not worried about him losing the spot. Um, One tough stretch this season for sure by Hart, but I think overall he just looks like the better goalie and I trust him to be a workhorse. Second for me would be Riddich, then Talbot, uh, and then I guess I prefer Smith in the short term because he's actually getting the starts in Edmonton and a distant fi- fifth would be Koskinen. Although I do think that that will flip flop for sure another time or two this year. Yeah, at least right in the moment, I think Koskinen is going to be an anchor on your team, especially with uh, another win for Smith tonight. Folks, that is it for tonight. Of course, I will be back on Saturday streaming from the Keeping Carlson Facebook page. I hope that you'll join us. Become a patron at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. For myself, Ben Burnett, I'm signing out of here. Lewis, why don't you take us home? All right, well, we want to acknowledge Natural Stat Trick, Corsica Hockey, Fantrax, Yahoo, Dauber, Frozen Tools, and the Hockey News for their contributions to helping us prepare for this episode. Make sure you check those out. Please follow at Keeping Carlson. You can follow Ben, myself, and our friend Jade at AVG Time on Ice. And until we see you next week, play smart and keep your shifts short.